Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, fellow Sark Fighter Regina Gordon of Indiana has been battling sarcoidosis for a long time, and the Sark just keeps on coming. It started in my lungs, um, and then it and then it um, soon went into my skin. Uh, now I have it predominantly in uh, my lymph nodes, lung, skin. Um, in my neural system, and in my gut. At one point, the skin sarcoidosis was bad enough, Regina had to take an unusual step. And subsequently, I did not want any of it there because it was um, too noticeable, so I wind up having plastic surgery. That interview is coming up. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 72 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast brought to you in part today by a grant from a tire pharma. I'm your host, John Carlin. I do this podcast because I want to offer fellow Sark fighters hope and to help you connect with other Sark patients, hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and hopefully that helps you understand what you are up against, against whether you're trying to overcome the disease itself or the effects of the medicine or both kind of normalizes the situation and you just start to understand what sarcoidosis is all about, especially as you listen to other people talk about it. Now, uh, before we get to the interview with Regina, who, by the way, is also an FSR advocate, one of the volunteers who makes herself available to you if you need someone to talk to or maybe help you navigate your situation as you try to figure out how to attack this beast. Uh, Regina will be talking about her story, which goes back all the way to the 90s, and she will be sharing that with you. And And again, as an advocate, I was an advocate for a year, the last year, uh, as a volunteer with FSR, um, but I stepped back because I was spending so much time on the podcast. So she's an advocate and just know that she is heavily involved in trying to help. And we'll be hearing from Regina coming up here shortly. But first, I want to talk about, you know, I talk about hope. I talk about some of the things that are going on in my life. Some of the reasons that I, uh, I you know, when I post on my Instagram account, I always end it with keep fighting because I just think it's so important to try to get back to leading some semblance of a normal life. And uh, I had an amazing couple of days this week. As you know, you've heard me talk before about the fact that I'm a news anchor for the NBC station in Roanoke, Virginia. I've been here pretty much since the mid-80s. And, uh, and I go out and I do these stories and I now have a segment called John Carlin's Outdoors, and I'm traveling around doing various outdoor things, which is kind of what this area is all about. We're here in the mountains in southwestern Virginia. The Blue Ridge Parkway flows through the region, and, and there's just a lot of biking and hiking and kayaking and, and all these different things, you name it. So, uh, But I was out this past couple of days 
in far southwest Virginia, almost actually right on the Kentucky border, where they are now trying to get elk reestablished in Virginia. Elk is, uh, it's a big animal. It's bigger than a white-tailed deer and smaller than a moose, and it has these huge, beautiful antlers. And back in the 1800s, they were essentially hunted to extinction in the eastern United States. They're still very common out west. You think of Yellowstone Park, you think of elk, the Wyoming, the Tetons, the Rockies, a lot of elk out there. But uh, they haven't been in Virginia until about 10 years ago, and they started out with a small herd of about 75 elk that they transported from Kentucky, which is doing something similar on a much grander scale. And now in Virginia, there are approximately 250 elk. And I was out there with my cameraman and working with uh, biologists from the State Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, and they took us to a place where they knew we would see elk, and we did. And it was absolutely unbelievable. And we're taking all this video. We got there in the late afternoon, and we and we had a couple of male elk standing in a meadow where we could get pictures of them right at sunset. And that red sun was, you, you hear people talk about the magic hour glinting off of their antlers, uh, which were Jeez, I, I don't want to overstate it, but two and a half to three feet high coming off of their head. Just, I mean, just phenomenal. Um, anyway, so I was just really taken aback by that. And we had to do a lot of walking and hiking around and, and getting in position to take these pictures. And I was just so thankful that my sarcoidosis is at a point right now where I've got it at bay. It's not in remission, quote-unquote, because I'm still taking medication, but uh, I haven't had a flare, knock on wood, in a couple of years, and I'm just, I'm just able to get out and do this stuff. And and I hope that, that whatever it is that you love, that you're able to find a place in your battle with sarcoidosis that, that you can do that. All right, I'm going to move on. I want to share with you some of the results of a survey done by FSR. FSR had 600 people participate in the survey, sharing their experiences about the financial burden of sarcoidosis. 75% do believe that sarcoidosis has had a negative impact on their finances. Top ways in which sarcoidosis has had that negative impact, 56% of people cited a loss of ability to work full-time, 45% cited the cost of medication, 40% the cost of travel for medical visits, 36% missed work, and some of the biggest concerns were 92% concerned with developing new manifestations or types of sarcoidosis leading to increased costs and more doctor and specialist visits, 90% the ability to have funds to do the things they enjoy, 87% the ability to save money, and 70% the ability to continue to work. So to help out with these problems, FSR is partnering with a company called Global Genes to provide a financial assistance, a web page, an easy-to-understand infographic, I'm looking at it right now, and educational webinar, which is essentially a YouTube channel. And you can take all of this in on the FSR website, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Now I want to tell you about some other really promising information, and this is from Atire Pharma. 
Uh, the CEO there, Sanjay Shukla, has been on the podcast a couple of times. He reached out to me to say that they had issued a new news release with some great information on the advancement of the drug that they've been working on, Um And it is now in the Phase 3 study. And the news release, which came out very late in September of 2022, the Phase 3 study will evaluate the efficacy and safety of the company's lead therapeutic candidate, that's their lead drug, Efsofitamod, compared to the placebo in patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis. So essentially, you've got a blind study here. Some patients get the drug, some patients get a sugar pill, nobody knows who gets what, and then they look at the results. So it's a what they call a double-blind study. Efsofitamod is a first-in-class immunomodulator, and it has now been granted FDA orphan drug and fast-track designations for sarcoidosis. So that's good news. If this works out, it should be a new solution for a lot of people who suffer with sarcoidosis. So the soundbite from Sanjay Shukla is, we're delighted to begin patient dosing in EFSOFIT with multiple centers in the U.S. open for enrollment, centers being medical centers. This is a very important study for patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis, and it's underway, said Sanjay Shukla the president and CEO. This is an important step forward to delivering transformative disease-modifying therapy that we believe can reduce the burden of sarcoidosis, or burden of steroids, excuse me, and provide clinically meaningful outcomes for patients with this complex disease. So the very first patient in the phase three trial is now receiving either the placebo um, or efsofitamod. Uh, of course, we don't know and they don't know. And then uh, Mary McGowan, the CEO for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, also has a quote, we are excited to collaborate with ATIRE as they advance this study of a promising new treatment that could potentially improve the lives of sarcoidosis patients worldwide. And she is very excited as well. So just thought I would get you up to date on everything going on uh, in terms of advancement and in terms of the the study of the financial impact and maybe something that you can do about it, maybe understand it better through the FSR website. So all those links will be in the show notes. In the meantime, coming up next, Regina Gordon shares her struggle with sarcoidosis. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. Joining me now is fellow Sark Fighter Regina Gordon from Indiana. Regina, good morning. What part of Indiana are you from? I am from Fort Wayne, okay. northeast part of Fort, uh, Indiana. Okay, and and you are a fellow Sark Fighter. How long have you been dealing with sarcoidosis? Since 1994. Holy cow. Yes. Wow, that is a lot. That is a lot. And so our listeners know, uh, why don't you describe what type of involvement you have? Is it in your lungs? Is it in your on your skin? Where Where is it manifesting itself in you? It started in my lungs um, and then it and then it um, soon went into my skin. Uh, now I have it predominantly in uh, my lymph nodes, lung skin. 
um, in my neural system and in my gut. And I'm pretty sure that I have it in my joints now. It started out in your lungs. And then yes. I'm just trying to think. And, and now it sounds like it's almost, you, you know, it's taking over most of your body going by your description. If we start talking about skin and joints, um, yes. where, where did it go from your lungs? My lymphatic system and then my skin. Um, they had to do a biopsy and um, my lymph nodes. Um, and then they had to do biopsies um, in my skin. I, put, I had a lot of them on my um, lips and on my nose. Um, and as subsequently, I did not want any of it there because it was um, too noticeable. So I wind up having plastic surgery. Really? Yes, to have them all removed. And that um, worked? It did. <laughs> I'm looking at you, so it must have worked, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Wow. That is, you know, that's one of those things that people don't think about is how how our mental health changes when our looks are impacted by something that makes us ill. Yes. Yeah. It was, um, for me, it was devastating because... You know, I have two daughters, and at that time they were young girls, and um, a single mother, and I had to raise them. And with the with that being said, you know, I didn't want to go out in public, and for them to hear people saying, "Oh, that woman has things hanging off of her mouth and off of her nose," and I didn't want my daughters to be embarrassed, and I didn't want to be embarrassed, and you know, that takes a toll on your life and then it takes a toll on your kid's life as well too and so um i had to do something and so i wind up having that plastic surgery and and, and it did it made me feel a little bit better um, about myself my self-esteem and it also helped my girls when we went out in public because they didn't have to hear those comments yeah so how how bad was it i mean was it was it when the public looked at you, when your friends looked at you, did they notice it as much as you did? Was it, was it, or, or is that somewhat internalized? It was internalized. I just felt like people were staring. I do know people at work where I worked at, I do know that they were staring. I'm sure they probably never said anything, but. I can feel that they probably talked about it behind my back. Um, so, and when I had that plastic surgery, I walked around proudly with stitches all over my mouth and all over my nose because I was like, I did something for myself and for my family, for my daughters. Good for you. It's, I guess it's fortunate that the plastic surgery worked and that the sarcoidosis just didn't come right back in behind it. Um, it's still there. Um, it's impacted inside of my nostrils now. Um, yes. <laughs> it's more Regina. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it's still there. Um, but, um, it's not visible. Okay. All right. Well, you are an advocate for FSR, 
Yes. And so you actually, uh, you, in, in our exchanges of emails prior to the podcast, uh, you, you told me that, and you and I actually met uh, pre-pandemic at a meeting outside Washington, D.C., um, and and I at that time I had recorded my very first podcast with SARC patients in person, and uh, but I I had a new grandchild on the way and I had to leave quickly. So, <laughs> yes. so you and I are about three years late in talking, uh, but I'm so glad to have you on. But one of the things that you mentioned was that you just feel like you're the lonely outpost there in Indiana. Tell me about that. Oh my gosh, um, I. Um... I have to tell you by way how how I feel like I'm the lonely outpost. I started um, back in 2016. I wanted to start a support group and I did not know how to get started. So I started doing my own research and I found FSR and I started to um, listen to and look at their website to see what they had to offer. And I found a support group kit on their website and I was surprised. So I followed their protocol and I had no idea that they were following me and keeping an eye on me. And they reached out to me, uh, I'll never forget it, in 2018 and asked me if I wanted to come to training. So I said yes. And by the way, it was in a matter of two days. I had to be ready for training. So I went. But as the years gone by, I realized um, there was nobody in the state of Indiana that I could even think of that was raising awareness and talking about sarcoidosis. And that's why I felt like the lonely wolf. And, and, um, in my own city, I can tell you there's about 20 people that I know of who has sarcoidosis. And I cannot even get them to step foot anywhere to join in the cause um, to help bring about awareness in the city of Fort Wayne. Now I can get people, um, in the surrounding area, but I can only do that through my Facebook page that I have. I do have a following of about 80 something people, um, that, um, that followed me, but that's about it. Wow. And then when the pandemic started, I had to give up on the um, support group. Um, but I do work with people locally on an individual basis. Um, so I'm not totally given up. You know, I still I still do what I do. Well, good for you. That's that's amazing. Um, and I, I just wrote down a note to myself that, that if you will give me the link to your Facebook page, and we can put it in the show notes. And if there's anybody else in Indiana or or anywhere uh, who is listening right now, then they can, can they can follow you, and, and maybe you can grow that group a little bit. And your efforts will be uh, oh. will reach more people. Oh, it's so easy. It's Sarcoidosis Warriors of Indiana. Okay, <laughs> got it. 
Sarcoidosis Warriors of Indiana. You got I, it. I would think that like a city like Indianapolis would have a lot of people. Well, in Indianapolis, I think there is a support group down there, but I don't know if they're active. I did look on FSR site and I think there's something up in the South Bend area, but you never hear about any of those groups or any of those people. Um, I think I've reached out to a couple of them at one point or time, but I've never gotten any response. Okay. Well, let's talk about, let's talk more about you. When, okay. when did you first start feeling like something with your body wasn't right? In 1992. Okay. Um, when I started to lose weight, when I developed a dry cough, when I started realizing I was going back and forth to the doctors, um, they kept dismissing me. I just was just feeling ill. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't sleep. I just was didn't know what was going on. And they just kept saying, hey, you just have allergies because what I had really mimicked allergies. And so um, they kept putting me on inhalers or any um, allergy medications, anything of that sort. But none of that was working. None of it. Okay. So at some point you said, okay, guys, we got to we got to figure out what's going on here. Yeah. So then how, how did you get from where you were to your diagnosis? Where we got to where I was to my diagnosis is nowhere. Not until I felt like I was feeling like death was upon me. I called my parents. I said, hey, I'm telling y'all, I feel like I'm dying. And um, they came and took me to the ER. And I'll tell you why I felt like I was dying, because my chest felt like it was caving in. Couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. And um, they came and got me, took me to the ER. I had my initial x-ray and I had pneumonia. Mind you, I had pneumonia when I was a baby. When I was born, I had pneumonia. So the nurse came in and said, we're going to admit you. They admitted me. And I can see the look on the nurse's face that something else was not right. And I asked her, I said, can you tell me what else is going on? She said, oh, we're just going to have to admit you and you can speak with the doctor the next day. Uh So I I spoke with the doctor. And he said, ma'am, we found a big mass on your chest. Um, okay. He said, we're going to do a lot of testing. You're very ill. Um, they immediately, they made sure they had an IV on me the night before it was full of antibiotics for the pneumonia. Um, about midway through the week, I was told I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And I can only describe it as the cancer that Jackie Kennedy Onassis had back in that day. That was uncurable then. I hear that it's curable now. 
Um, and I bawled. I called my mom and told her, I said, I told you I was dying. This is the, the um, what they diagnosed me with. And I, all I could think of was my two daughters. What am I going to do with my two daughters? Who's going to care for my two daughters? So they continue to say, but we're going to continue to test you. It took them a whole nother week to tell me I had a medical mystery. It wasn't um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But they didn't know what it was. They didn't. They never said the word sarcoidosis. Not, not until they said you have a medical mystery. It's called sarcoidosis. It did say that. Okay. Yes. It's like, okay, what is that? Well, and back then, so this is still like in 92, 93? This was in 94 when 94. I was diagnosed because it took two years. It okay. took two years. And sarcoidosis, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't work in the medical community, but just from anecdotally hearing people talk and being involved with FSR, back then, even fewer people had heard of sarcoidosis. Exactly. Right? Yep. That is so, correct. Right. So what did they, when they said, okay, you've got a medical mystery, it's called sarcoidosis, then what they say, what they do? Uh, you're just going to have to live with it for the rest of your life. And I was released. <laughs> Were you breathing better at least? <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, could, what else could they do? You know, that was 20 some years ago. Right. You know, fast forward, I'm in chronic stages now. So, you know, back then, the only only medication that they had was steroids. You know, I'd been on steroids all the way up until, what, 2019. And 2019 was the last of my steroids because I um, wind up being in DKA and spent three weeks in the hospital. What's DKA? Diabetic ketoacidosis. Gotcha. And that was um, from the steroids? You bet. How many milligrams? You were taking prednisone, right? So how yep. many milligrams were you taking? 40 milligrams. And um, wow. that's that's because I wind up getting lesions in my mouth. And they had to, I had to get all those lesions out of my mouth. You know, I couldn't eat. My mouth was hurting. Um, and mind you, um, I wasn't a diabetic. Never been a diabetic. And now I can never take steroids. So as a result of all of that, I had to fight for, um, during that time, I was also fighting to get Remicade. I finally got Remicade at the end of that year. Um, I've been on almost every protocol you could think of up until that time. I'm on Remicade now, so, and it works well. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. And are they uh, monitoring, are you doing regular blood testing to monitor your liver enzymes for the Remicade? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that's what happened. That's what happened to me is Remicade worked for me, but then after a certain amount of time, my body began rejecting it, which is represented in the, in the liver enzymes. Um, and so they had to switch me over. And uh, so now I'm, I take Humira, which is sort of a cousin as a, Mm -hmm. uh, to the Remicade, but well, you talk about a battle to get it approved because it's expensive too. Oh, let me tell you, that was the fight of the year. Uh, <laughs> yes. Because I could not get 
my medication because all of my doctors are over in Cleveland Clinic. I have no doctors in the city of Fort Wayne because uh, no one really knows about the condition here. So all of my doctors in Cleveland and because you can't get medications across state line of that magnitude, um, I have a doctor here, bless his heart. He asked me, did I have a um, um, someone who can vouch for me, someone who can be that person for me? And I told him no. And he's my dermatologist. And because I have sarcoid in the skin, he's well versed in the sarcoid of the skin. He said, I will be that person for you. And so he and my doctors in Cleveland Clinic got together and discussed my case. And um, they told him the medication that I needed. And so he's now the person that makes sure I get my Remicade um, because I couldn't get across state lines. And thank God for him because so I... Yeah, go ahead. So you go you go and have an IV every four or six weeks? Four weeks. Yep. I can't go to six weeks. Right. I, yeah, I have to have it every four weeks as I will be a basket case. Now you say you feel it in your bones as well? I believe I have it in my bones. I've never been checked. My insurance has always denied the PET scan, so... What does it feel like? Oh, it's very, very painful. It just, it, it, it hurts. Um, I know it's in my joints and my muscles because I tell you what, every morning I get up, I have a hard time um, getting out of bed and it takes me forever for my body to warm up. That's how I kind of figure it's in my bones. Because it takes forever. You see, I'm sitting up here in my own home. I have my heat on and a jean jacket. So <laughs> it takes forever for me to warm up. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so you you go to Cleveland Clinic. Uh, mm -hmm. who, who's your doctor? Can I ask you? Um, doctor, um, my lung specialist, he used to be on the board of FSR. Um, Culver. Dr. Culver. Yes. Okay. Um, Brandon um, is my um, Dr. neurologist. Dr. Moss. Moss. My yes. doctor also. Yes. Okay. Um, so we're seeing yeah. the same folks. Dr. Srivastava is my eye doctor. So okay. I got the some of the top doctors. I'm like, mm. you, now you see why I just cannot not be without doctors. Amen, sister. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I, I, you know, it took me a while to to uh, to figure that out as well. And but people who listen know that I am uh, a strong advocate for the care that comes from the Cleveland Clinic. I think they do. A yes. Job. Yeah, I drive four hours, you know, to get there. So. Yeah, for me, it's a three day trip because it's it's uh, seven hours one way. So we drive up. We have a day of doctor visits and MRIs or whatever, uh, and then drive home. So, you know, that's that's three days out of my life, but it's worth it. It's me, worth it. Yeah. So you've got two daughters. Let's let's talk about you 
when you're not feeling awful with sarcoidosis. So, you know, who who is Regina Gordon? You, you've got two daughters and you're a professional. What, what, what all do you do? I, um, I garden. Cause okay. Okay. <laughs> that's what I do. Really? Vegetable gardens, flower gardens? I, vegetable gardens. Have tons of plants in my house. Okay. Those are my those are my babies, you know. I, I like to take care of things. Um and um you know it's my outlet. Gardening is my outlet. My granddaughters is my outlet. Um, my family is my outlet. Uh-huh. And I love to travel. I just um, went on a two-week um, traveling spree with my mother, who will be 80 January the 1st. Wow. <laughs> yes. The best vacation we've ever had. Um, thanks to my brother, who gave us a little bit of money. Of course, me and my mom saved our own money. Yeah. Um, my other brother, he gave us his house for two weeks. That was our Airbnb. And from there, me and my mom, we traveled to Savannah. We went to other places. We went to Daytona Beach. Um, got to go see the white sands of the Atlantic. I got to visit one of my ex-co-workers and it was just like one of the most fantastic trips we've ever had but um we took the bus tour of um savannah downtown to historic savannah pretty isn't it oh, oh my gosh it's just absolutely gorgeous but the highlight of the savannah trip i have to plug this was if you ever watched the the series Ozark, we got to tour the Savannah River on that boat that was in the Ozark. Oh, really? The boat that was the, um, that, that was the, the, ga- the gambling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, wow. uh, the queen, the, the Savannah queen, whatever you want to call it. I don't uh-huh. care. I can't remember the name of it, but we were on that boat. So, I love that series. Uh, I that, love that series. I love that series. That's one of the best series ever. It was so dynamite. It was just wow, great. Outstanding. Outstanding. I didn't know that boat was in Savannah. Yes. This has got to be somewhere. Yes. I was surprised. Um, there were uh, What we learned about Savannah is that there is a lot of... Um, movies that are done down in savannah and savannah is a small really is a small city it's not as large as people think that it is um a lot of movies are done down there yeah well that's outstanding i'm glad you got to travel i'm glad you got to move around and 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 see some stuff and and see the atlantic ocean i just got back from a trip where i got to see the pacific ocean uh i'd seen it several times but uh we were bicycle riding and we came over this ridge and headed um, from Napa towards the coast. When we came over the top of this mountain, we could look out for the first time and there was the ocean. And, and the guy, the guide had said, when you get to about this point, start paying attention. 
and you you will see the ocean. Son of a gun, if we didn't. So that there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a body of water that huge. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Well, so how has your life changed because of sarcoidosis? How do you think that the the path you are taking through your life is different? Well, it has. Well, I will say sarcoidosis has kind of cramped my career. Um, as I was saying earlier, before we started recording, um, I had to take jobs that were just basic jobs and not careers um, for the simple fact that I needed to have insurance. I have gone on to get my degrees and go to school to better myself, but later to find out that the degrees that I've gotten aren't as well suited for the jobs that are out here now, you know, to have a better career in life. And now I'm 61. Literally, mind you, I just got my bachelor's in 2013. I received my master's in 2016. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, it's been a hard road getting um, those degrees, Um, but I pushed and pushed and continued on because I wanted to set an example, at least for my two granddaughters to let them know that um, despite an illness or despite the troubles that you've gone through in life, that um, life still happens and you can still um, meet those goals no matter how late in life they are. Um, Although my career has been curtailed deeply by um, sarcoidosis. So I've had to make some adjustments. Um, But what the disease has done is maybe made me more aware of my body, made me more aware of myself, and has helped me to become an advocate for the condition. I never thought I would ever be an advocate for anything. And um, and now I write poetry about the condition. I love. I've always loved to write. Uh, my father used to write poetry. He used to write songs, and I never really knew my father. But I have a great box of some of his things uh, of, that he's written, and so I go back to some of his words and intertwine some of my words with his words and write about life. And I journal about some of the things that happen in reference to sarcoidosis. Um, Hopefully when I'm done, I'll have a book ready to be published because I am writing. And I have quite a few poems written around the illness itself. Really? Yes. Have you shared any of those publicly? 
Um, I've only shared one of them publicly. Um, well, um, I've shared one of them publicly. Um, it's been a while. Um, it's been a while. I don't even know it by heart anymore. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, if you, if you uh, ever feel the urge, maybe you could send some of your work here and, and I'll read it on the podcast or if I could do it justice. Really? Well, you know, send it on and, and let's. Actually, let's you know what? It works. Can I share one real quick on this sure. podcast? Absolutely. Because you know what? I do have, I forgot I have it right here on my computer. If you've got it on your computer. I do. As long as my Zoom doesn't run out, you've got, the floor is yours. I will read it quickly. I'm looking for it. It is my very first piece I've ever written. And it is um, in reference to And this piece is called The Purple Snowflake. Of course, the snowflake disease, because it affects everybody differently. And purple is the color of sarcoidosis, so. That is correct. It is called The Journey of the Purple Snowflake. The journey to becoming a purple snowflake is long and arduous. It takes you through many parts of the body, mind, and soul. It cuts, slices, ravages. It destroys, it even kills. The journey to becoming. Why are we on this journey? No one will ever know, not even us. We hit many roads of lumps, bumps, and pains unknowingly. We see many people who tell us what is wrong. They say you have a mysterious disease. We get looked at as if we are plagued. We are. The mysterious diseases cause sarcoidosis. We slide into the abyss of pulmonologists, dermatologists, neurologists, and cardiologists. But do they really know? We get thrown into the world of medications, Remicade, Methotrexate, Plaquenil, Prednisone. But do they help? Can there be a cure for this devastating journey? Talking, walking, working, and waiting endlessly? Raising awareness for that glorious cure? We wear purple to represent the regal fight against sarcoidosis. The symbol, a snowflake. Individuality, no one is the same. We are different. Awaiting for this mysterious disease to disseminate? We are the purple snowflakes, sarc warriors, which is our journey of becoming. We continue to grow limp and fatigue on a daily basis, waiting for this journey to end. In the meantime, we will stand tall with all Sark warriors alongside the scientists, doctors, and the researchers who are working towards a magical cure. We reach out to others with this mysterious disease. We cry, we share, we support, we teach, we love. We wait, we pray, 
We continue to fight the fight. A sarcoidosis is our journey to becoming a purple snowflake. That was beautiful, Regina. Thank you. That was beautiful and, and very heartfelt. And I saw you got, you got a little emotional right in the middle of that. So that still touches something inside you, doesn't it? Yes. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we're talking with Regina Gordon, who is a SARC fighter from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we're just about out of time. But Regina, thank you so much for joining me here on the FSR SARC Fighter podcast. Thank you for having me. This is really you. great. Thank you for sharing your poem with us. You're welcome. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling Thanks to Regina for being an official FSR advocate and for being willing to come on the podcast and bear her soul, tell everything that's going on with her fight with sarcoidosis and put it out there. You know, in a hippo world where nobody says anything about their health, I'm always amazed that people are willing to come on the podcast and really just tell folks what's going on with their lives, with their bodies, with their battles. And I just really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much, Regina. And let's hope Regina has success in keeping sarcoidosis at bay. And maybe once, maybe one or more of these new drugs that are in various stages of development are approved, maybe if they live up to the promise, there will be new solutions for people like Regina. I want to remind you that over the past year, with lots of support from the community, FSR has made incredible progress in efforts to accelerate sarcoidosis research. We talked about that with ATIRE and to deliver responsive patient support programming like the financial seminar. And it's all part of spotlighting sarcoidosis to hashtag make it visible FSR's 2022 update. And if you would, just visit the FSR website, read the update, and learn how maybe you could support the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and help us all in the battle to fight SARC. A reminder, the official SARC fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. You can hear Mark's story in episode 12. He is a fellow SARC fighter and a musician and a hockey player, and he's got a great story to tell, and you can hear that in episode 12. Remember, the Sark Fighter podcast comes out every other Monday. As I'm speaking today, my trusty dog, Dougal, has been in and out of my office. Typically, he's curled up on the chair in my office, and he was when I started, but something has gathered his attention out in the backyard, and that's where he is right now. But no matter where Dougal is, he makes my life better. Got to give Dougal a shout out. Don't forget to follow Sark Fighter on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, and on Peloton. If you have a Peloton, I'm on there as a Sark Fighter. My cycling blog is called Carl and the Cyclist, and that has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. I've kind of detailed in there some of my struggles to continue riding my bicycle, which I love to do uh, through the various uh, fits and starts that I've had with medication and the disease and the surgeries and so forth. So that's there if you want to read it. 
Also, if you're new here and trying to figure out just what SART is and what you're up against, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story is episode one. The backstory to the founding of FSR is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. They started it at their kitchen table because Andrea is a Sark fighter and FSR wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. If you want to contact me, it's carlinagency at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes. Right. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know how you're feeling. Let me know if maybe you want to appear on the podcast. That's the best way to get in touch with me. I do appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. Please just tell one person somewhere in the sarcoidosis space, maybe your nurse, your doctor, somebody you meet at a seminar. Just tell somebody, hey, have you heard the Sark Fighter podcast? Uh, John is over there and he is um, he's trying to look at sarcoidosis any way that he can think of and you might want to give it a listen and and the more people who listen the more effective the podcast is at the end of the day so give the show a nice review maybe on apple podcasts or wherever you get your downloads and until next time keep fighting Trying to keep up the pace Dead men walking, counting